Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's clip show. Uh-oh, Jeremy, Gretchen, Bill, welcome. Hey. Hey Hey there. We are already in the holiday season. It's amazing that we're to this point. And this time of year, every year, we look back on some of our best interviews. So this week and next week are going to be clip shows. But we've got some great clips for you. Um, We're going to be doing an interview, Jeremy, that you did earlier in the year on the history of comics. Yeah, that was fun. Had a lot of questions on that one. So hopefully when we run it again, send your questions in because we're happy to answer them. Another interview that we had earlier in the year, which is a good one for the holiday season, is what to do with e-waste. In other words, your devices that you might be replacing or something that breaks, how to deal with your personal information that might be on a device. Keep them out of the landfill. There's all kinds of things we can do. And this guest came in and talked about all of that and exactly what to do and how to do it and that type of a thing. The other thing we're going to look at from a year ago was the last convention we went to, which was the Portland Wizard World Conference. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird to think, as of this week, that will have been 10 months ago. It seems longer ago. It does. I know. Well, this year seems like about 10 years, you know? Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, but, but you know, again, I think it's going to be kind of fun going into 2021, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Hopefully, we'll get back to some normalcy and all of this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it's just been a year of having to do things differently and figure out things differently. And I know, Bill, you've gotten a lot of experience with tabletop gaming because that's the one thing that we have been doing. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so uh, working all of that out and uh we've talked about that a lot in the past and that type of a thing and there's some opportunities there's also a site i understand for doing board games so like your monopoly and that type of thing so if you're having a virtual holiday this year that might be something to be able to check out to actually do something with your family but at the same time being able to do the social distance and not uh, have the personal interaction and i'll tell you one thing though <laughs> next year once it's safe to do so, we're going to have one big party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. care what the holiday is. We'll come up with something. But as soon as they say we don't It's going to be mask, called No COVID Holiday. Yeah, No COVID oh, Holiday. <laughs> I'm thinking about taking from the 1960s and doing a mask burning when it's appropriate to do so. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, with no further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into our interviews from the past year. I hope you enjoy them. Send in your questions and comments even during the clip show period. We will get them. And with no further ado, here we go. Today's news is brought to you by the Be Local, Buy Local holiday shopping campaign sponsored by the Sherwood Chamber of Commerce and Metropolitan Land Group. Save up to 20% on gift cards and support local businesses impacted by the pandemic. Go to SherwoodChamber.org for more information. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Jeremy Gretchen. Hey. So you have been doing a little research, I know, or actually a lot of research, on the history of comics and comic books and that type of thing. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and it just seemed like an interesting topic to dig a little deeper into. So what have you guys found out? Okay. The first known comic book that I can find is called The Adventures of Obadiah Oldbuck by a uh, Swiss artist, Rudolf Topfer, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that okay. correctly. Yep, that sounds like a Swiss <laughs> name. <laughs> it was published in 1837. Okay. So it is a uh, 
40 page graphic novel. It's eight and a half by 11. It was stitched on the side and it's six to 12 panels per page of art with a little tiny bit of text underneath them. And the fun thing about it is I I looked at the artwork that Jeremy showed me from his research. And this looks like the old style artwork that used to be in the nursery rhymes or the fairy tale books that we used to have as kids. Okay. All right. It's uh, they're black and white. They're like, lithographs yeah, or something they were, like they that? Were, they were drawn on antimony. So obviously they were etched and then printed. What is antimony? That's a metal. Okay. All right. So they were etched and they were printed. So almost, uh, would this be kind of like a woodcut maybe? Yes. It's similar, yeah. Okay. okay. So, But so more detail. Is this is 1837. He started publishing a comic book, uh, an actual comic strip in a paper. And um, it gets gets published into into... Uh, a bunch of languages in Europe. Then it goes to England and it becomes the first printed comic book in the U S in New York in 1846. Okay. <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they ran copies of it until 1877. Wow. And so, this, this kind of goes along at the same time we start seeing what I call um, pulp magazines, you know, the, the dime novel, the penny dreadful yeah. and which later on turned into the pulp magazines were amazing stories and mm-hmm. sci-fi and fantasy stories were. And so, at this, tales. <laughs> so at the same time, this stuff is being developed almost like on a parallel. Right. Right. Okay. So now we've got the, the modern newspaper, and we have something that you may have heard of called The Yellow Kid. Okay. Now, it's published from a, a comic strip called Hogan's Alley. This is a huge book. It's 196 pages. It was 50 cents. Okay. It was print, wow. printed in black and white. And this was published in 1897. Okay. This comic strip, uh, Hogan's Alley, ran in uh, Joseph Pulitzer's New York World and later William Randolph Hearst's New York Journal. Okay. And then they took these these strips and ran them, uh, combined them into a book and published it. It's 196 pages. That's gigantic. That's huge. Yeah. 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 They're 50 cents. Right. Now, at the time, it was more money, I guess. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the start of what's called the Platinum Age of Comics. That's 1897 to 1838. This is where we get uh, things you've heard of. The Cats and Jammer Kids, Little Nemo, Mutt and Jeff, and... um, These are things that my mom have referred to. Some of them, it might have even been turned into radio stuff Mm -hmm. and things like that. We've got Barney Google in this era. Little Orphan Annie starts publishing. And um, we get, at this time, the Chicago Tribune formed popular comics and ran comic books with Dick Tracy... Little Orphan Annie, Skippy, Mutt and Jeff, and stuff called Gasoline Alley. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, then we've got, in 1936, they started publishing The Phantom. I actually have a, a, a Phantom comic yeah. book, but it's not that old. <laughs> and um, we also start getting a United Features Syndicate. I'm sure you've heard of them. And in 1938, they published comic books with Tarzan uh, and Bronco Bill and Little Abner. So 1938 is when it switched eras. What now? Is this just a time frame that someone's decided on, or how does it? It's basically uh, an idea behind what's in the comic books and what kind of characters are being produced. Okay. 
So the golden age is called is 1938 to 1956. Okay. And 1938 starts with um, June and Action Comics number one. Okay. If you've ever heard of that, that's where Superman shows up. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So that was his first comic book is Action Comics. Detective Comics number 27, and we get Batman. This is 1939. Uh, Marvel Comics number one, which is from October of 39. We start getting Namor, the Submariner, the Human Torch, the Angel, and a, a character I don't know anything about called Kazar. Okay. Um, in 1940, we get Captain Marvel, the Flash, and Green Lantern. Okay. Um, in 1940, Detective Comics number 28, Robin shows up for Batman. So he gets his sidekick. Tell, tell us what happens afterwards. Okay. Now, this is, <laughs> this is the part you've heard of, I know. Um, Robin shows up, and then... He's so popular, everybody gets a sidekick. Okay. <laughs> you remember Superboy? Right, right. Okay, how about Kid Flash? Or Flash Jr.? It's just, the, everybody gets a sidekick. It's just like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> so everybody needs a little buddy. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, this worked, now we're going to do it everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, so this is also the era of the Justice Society, uh, the Flash, Green Lantern, Spectre, Hawkman, Doctor Fate, Hour Man, the Sandman, Adam, and Johnny Thunder. Okay. This is like... Groups of superheroes doing stuff that's important. Um, All-Star Comics number 8, 1941, we get Wonder Woman. Okay, March 1941, Captain America. Uh, for 1941 also, there's a, a small comic book company that publishes Pep Comics. In issue number 22, although there are superheroes on the cover, um, a story in the very back of the book about a young man with uh, in a love triangle with two beautiful girls. His name is Archie Andrews. You may have heard of him. I've heard of VR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, be he becomes so popular they be they form Archie Comics. Wow! <laughs> and one thing to think about, like with Wonder Woman coming out in 1941, mm -hmm. you have to think about what was happening in the world yeah. right now. You had that that time you had World War Two, and that's why Wonder Woman is not a World War One character. She's a World War Two character. She was in love with. Um, Major Steve Trevor, mm -hmm. who was very much a World War II Army guy. And so when you see the TV series, that's why he's dressed the way he is and the way she is. Oh, that's so we're going to we're gonna have to make another vol volume of this. Yeah, I, we'll pick it up with the next couple of uh, eras uh, next week. This is great. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining me today is Tyler Davis, the Annual Fund and Events Associate for Free Geek. Tyler, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So let's start out. What is Free Geek? So Free Geek, in its essence, is where old technology comes to find new life. We are an electronics recycler where people can come in and bring their old or used items of technology, and we either recycle it or refurbish it and redistribute it to our community to people in need of digital access. Okay, so that sounds absolutely incredible. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the topic of e-waste, and e-waste is becoming a bigger deal. Is this something that you've been running into? And for I guess let's actually take a step back and describe what is e-waste. Well, e and and the other thing is, is there tons and tons of it every year mm -hmm. in in this country alone. Yeah, it's so e-waste is electronic waste, and it's estimated that the United States produces around seven million tons of e-waste every year. 
Uh, and so these, when these materials go and sit in a landfill, they are incredibly hazardous and prove uh, impose a threat to both human and environmental health. Uh, so what we do at Free Geek is we kind of take those materials and we recycle it up to the highest environmental standards. And so to kind of put it in perspective, uh, last year we processed over 27,000 pounds of circuit boards. And okay. from those circuit boards, we were able to salvage about five pounds of gold. And through traditional mining methods, it takes about 17.5 million pounds of ore to produce the amount of gold that we recovered from circuit boards just last year. So that means there's a lot of money buried in this stuff. M money, yes, but also uh, these precious metals are able to be recycled and reused in other electronics. Uh, so we kind of don't have to do any more harm to the environment through mining for precious metals. Well, see, the thing, uh, when, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at people don't realize that when they throw that TV away that, uh, or, or the... For the phone, but, but my, when I was studying this, and I spent a lot of time looking at this, manufacturers deliberately make their products to die. Right. Mm, or mm -hmm. they update things to where you can't update your phone or whatever. So you're forced to buy something new and throw the old one away. And this is where you come into play. You can make some of these old ones kind of new. Absolutely. So planned obsolescence is a major issue that we've been discussing for several years and it's been getting a lot more attention. Uh, you know, there are more smartphones in the world than there are people. Right. And we are turning over technology so fast and oftentimes it's still usable and valuable. And so um, one of the things I, I'm going to answer this question in kind of two parts. So one of the things that we do is we'll take that technology and we'll refurbish it and give it to people in need of digital access. So people who are in need of a smartphone or in need of a laptop or, uh, or a computer um, and then we were also working to help try to push right to repair legislation, uh, which is basically saying that consumers have the right to repair the devices. And this legislation would force manufacturers to provide the tools, um, knowledge and uh, original manufactured parts to consumers and to uh, third party refurbishers so that they're able to repair their own devices. So here, and I'm a manufacturer, I'm going to play devil's advocate, I'm a manufacturer, and this legislation passes, mm -hmm. I'm going to jack up the price of my product. So does that make the product all that affordable at I, that point? I mean, that is, a, that is a question kind of outside of our realm. Uh, our whole focus with uh, providing technologies, we provide, we have a store where we provide things at really low and reduced costs for people. And so that part for us wouldn't change. But Right to repair would allow us to be more productive with repairing uh, and refurbishing devices. So we're able to get more back out into the community. Yeah, and I wasn't being critical because I, I, I like the idea of that because Bill and I have been talking about this. In fact, we're going to try to get a lawyer on to talk about companies deliberately doing this to force me to buy mm -hmm. something else. Now, is it possible to recycle anything electronic? Mm, yes and no. I mean, there are some things like old CRT monitors are very challenging for us to recycle. We actually have to uh, send those to a different recycler to have them broken down because they are such so hazardous and filled with such toxic materials that we can't do anything with them on site. Uh, and there are a couple little things here and there that we cannot recycle in-house because a lot of our programs, like actually all of our uh, recycling reuse programs are run by volunteers. And so uh, they come in and they dismantle computers like 
whole desktops to smaller components, but things we don't want them to touch are like power supplies because they still hold the charge. Right. And we wouldn't want anybody to, you know, electrocute themselves. You don't want somebody to have something dangerous. And I know with the CRTs, those are one of the few that are seem to be very hard to try to recycle. Mm-hmm. I've run into it. If you find a place, they usually charge for them or other things they don't, that kind of a, of yeah. a difference. Now, if you're taking a device that you're going to actually reuse, so you're not breaking it down, but you're going to mm-hmm. fix it. A lot of our devices, our tablets, laptops, and so on, store personal information. How does one deal with that before they would give the device to be recycled? So you can wipe it yourself, or as soon as you bring it in, anything that is data-bearing from a Roku to a smart TV to your iPhone to a tablet or a personal laptop, anything that could potentially hold any personal information is sent right into our secure data area and is wiped up to the highest standards. Um, I cannot tell you the acronym for the standards or what it means because I don't remember. Sure. <laughs> uh, but we also offer a certificate of destruction for people who uh, want that guarantee that their data was wiped. And if we can't wipe the data, we destroy the hard drive. Okay. So with, you, with your situation, the, the data would not get back out somehow Absolutely to somebody not. else. Okay. Because that's been a big concern and definitely one of our one of our questions. So, all right. Um, I guess the next thing to talk about here is how somebody actually would go about recycling something. So how does this work? How do they get to you? And we only have about a minute. All right. So we're located in Southeast Portland off of 10th and Mill. But if you're outside of the area, there's a website. We are part of a national organization called the Alliance for Technology Refurbishing and Reuse. And they're a network that supports nonprofit refurbishing recycle communities. And uh, on their website, they have a map of 82 different tech recyclers and refurbishers all across the country that people can go and donate technology at. Okay, so this is a nationwide option. Yeah, it is a nationwide movement. Right, right. Now that's great. And it's much needed. I, I <laughs> yeah. really agree with that. I I, I, I didn't know about e-waste until we started researching. You're absolutely. All right, you're, uh, you gave the name of the organization, the website and the uh, Twitter, Facebook. How do, the, how do people actually find you? Uh, freegeek.org is our website. Our Facebook is Free Geek Mothership. And our Twitter, I believe, is... Also free mothership, but don't quote me on that. All right. We'll get all of that confirmed and get it out on our social media at One User Friendly. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the section of the show where we answer your questions. Send them in. You can call us 503-766-6264 or send them by social media, Facebook and Twitter, One User-Friendly. What are our questions? When I bought a computer, they sold me a UPS. Do I need a UPS? What does it do? All right, let's actually start there. Um, UPS is an acronym. It's short for Uninterruptible Power Supply. And okay. what it essentially is, is a battery backup unit. So if the power goes out, your devices that are plugged into it will still work. Secondary function of it is it guards against things like power spikes and power surges and that type of thing. So in answer to the question, do you really need one? It depends a little bit on the level of the equipment and the need for the equipment to have solid power that you're buying. I recommend them because they can solve a lot of problems where if there is a brownout or there's a power failure or a power spike, that it doesn't or it's not as likely to burn out the power supply in your computer. So even a cheaper computer could still benefit from this, and other devices can as well. So I have a question. Um, Years ago when we all had like a software business, 
those things were really expensive. Are they still like $150? There's actually a full range of them, and it depends on the capacity of what you needed to do. They start at about 40 or 50 bucks now, so they aren't as expensive as they used to be. And they go all the way up to where you can spend a lot of money. Now, I've got a bunch of different kind. Uh, the ones that would run file servers, those are six, $700 a piece or more. They have multiple batteries and are designed for a higher load. So you're dealing with capacity. For my basic desktop computer, I have one UPS. I think ran me, it's an APC is the name of the manufacturer. Ran me about 50 bucks. I've had it for a couple of years now. I just, as a matter of fact, about a week ago had to change the battery. So that's another thing to be aware of is they do take a battery and they last for about a year and a half to two years. When they go out, most units start beeping um, or give you some kind of an alarm. So I had that. The new battery, I think, was $22 and I was able to get it in one day shipping from Amazon. So that's basically what they cost. Okay, so I have another question. Hmm. Um, what kind of devices can you put on this? Because I remember years ago, you could not put your um, fancy printers on power bars, and was it the UPS as well? Yeah, it's recommended not to put a laser printer. Uh, so a desk jet or that type of thing is perfectly fine. Some laser printers will work and just reference the documentation that comes with your printer or call their technical support to find out. The reason why this was more of an issue is because of the way it regulated uh, power, it could actually cause a problem with the motor on the laser, but that was much more prevalent with older printers. Okay, next question. Do I still need a separate digital camera as well as my phone? Yeah, you know, and this is a good question because we're in an era now where your smartphone kind of does everything. And certainly the digital camera side of it is one of them. In fact, the cameras that come on higher end phones can sometimes be better and do more than a, a separate digital camera would have. So for me, this just kind of comes down to need and ease of use. I still have a digital camera that I've had. It's, I think, 16 megapixel. I've had it for a couple of years. I don't know now if I would need to buy a separate one. The one on my phone does just as good and also has the ability to do some 3D effects and some other things like that that the digital camera can't. So I think for most users, you don't need the separate device anymore. If you're doing something very special and specific, like a uh, professional? Like a, well, a, a professional. <laughs> like a professional photographer. Yeah, certainly a professional photographer would want different devices and lenses and things that you would have to have your own camera. The other one where I've still seen a separate camera be used is an appraiser, like a house appraiser where they take pictures of the property and all that kind of stuff. In that set of circumstances, they still had a separate camera. So there are some specialty things, but it's certainly not like it used to be. What is a Comcast Wi-Fi hotspot? Yeah, this question was specifically asked for Comcast, but this really refers to most larger internet service providers. But I'll answer it from the Comcast standpoint. What they're doing is in the areas that Comcast serves, they have Wi-Fi hotspots. And before COVID-19, it would be a situation that if you had an account with them, so in other words, your internet service is provided by Comcast, you could use them to provide you with hotspot access. So if you were traveling or something, you could put your phone or device on one of their hotspots and it would work just like you're at home in the sense of that you didn't need to use your mobile network and that type of thing. Since COVID-19, and at least until the end of the year, Comcast has opened these up for anybody that wants to use them. The idea is for businesses getting back on their feet or anybody that's had difficulties because of the COVID epidemic can go ahead and get their internet and go online. And it's really kind of a neat little feature. I find with my tablet that I still have that doesn't have built-in internet, it has to use Wi-Fi. It's kind of nice because I can travel around with it and still be able to get online just by connecting to the Wi-Fi hotspot, kind of like I would be on the home network. 
So that's all the time we have today. Send us your questions and your comments. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Well, we got to our first Comic-Con uh, this weekend. Yes, indeed. It was fun. So it actually was a lot of fun. It was nice not having giant snowstorms or anything else. Uh, in fact, the weather was actually very pleasant, which which made it a lot easier. And we got to go with as wizards this year. And guys, I think the costumes came out great. Yeah, they were kind of fun, weren't they? Yeah, for a quick thing, it was great. So, and uh, I don't know, it didn't look that quick. I mean, we got featured on one of the local news stations here in Portland. And uh, Jeremy, you kind of got to narrate the whole thing. So that was fun. Well, you know, when they ask, you got to do something. So, and I think the best way to uh, talk about this is let's actually go live to the floor where we recorded. And we're going to be us talking about what we thought of the event. This was taken on Sunday. And uh was the time after we had a chance to look at things. So with no further ado, here we go. Wizard World Portland 2020. Welcome back. This is Bill Sickens. We are recording live here at the Portland Wizard World Comic Con on Sunday, where we've had a really good day so far. Yeah, and we're taking our lunch break. And so it's like the perfect time to sit down and hash over everything that we've seen and done. So... One of the things that happened that's really cool is when we were here Friday night, I entered a raffle with uh, Red Castle Games, and they were giving away uh, mats and bags and different things like that, and I never win anything, but what happened? Well, you won the, the play mat, and it's signed by the artist. Yeah, which is really cool. I love stuff like this. I love art, and to have something that's actually autographed is really cool. And we posted it on our Twitter feed. It's this really cool dragon, and there's a castle in the background, and a bridge, and a, and a keep. It is just, like, really neat. And that's at one user-friendly. And, you know, the, this convention is smaller. Now, we were here last year, and anybody that listened to the show last year knows that it was... Uh, a little bit of a bummer, and it wasn't the convention, it was the snowstorm mm -hmm. that seemed to stop everybody from coming. But this year we don't have that. It's actually really comfortable outside. They've been predicting rain, but it's been dry and in the 50s, so that has brought everyone out. And there's some really cool cosplays this year. Right now I'm looking at two Mandalorians. Yep, that's them. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a really cool-looking guy dressed as Snape. Yep. Yeah, nice, nice. Is it Snape or Snipe? Snape. Snape, Snape, Okay. He's, we're not on a snipe hunt. We're on okay. a snake hunt. A snake hunt. Okay. <laughs> I can never remember that for some reason. But um, no, but it's kind of cool to see what's around. I wouldn't say it's terribly crowded. Of course, it's Sunday. Yeah. But, uh, but there's it, a lot of families here with their little ones, you know, and their little ones are all dressed up as their favorite heroes. So that's really cool. No, it was actually a lot of fun. And coming in this morning, we were coming here on the train. And, you know, as a cast, we always try to use public transit where we can. But the uh, train driver um, was enjoying our costumes, our wizard costumes. If you haven't seen them, check that out on our social media. Uh, we had some great things. You guys made them, right? Yes, Absolutely. So Except mine is not made. Mine's pieced together from various different store-bought things. Because remember, we took like a week to decide, oh, we're going to do wizards. And then we just quickly slapped what we could together. And we made robes for you and for Jeremy. Now, why are we doing wizards? Because it's Wizard World. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, it was just a dumb idea. But it says Wizard World. Yeah. No, I think it's actually and a really cool idea. we to do something different, something fun. We have some ideas upcoming that we would like to do D&D &D style characters. Right, right. And well, you know, wizards 
they're part of D&D? They're very much a part of D&D. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to actually have to try out this game mat at least once. Then I'm going to hang it on the wall. But, yeah, uh, that is really pretty. It's pretty. huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of fun. It's, it's, uh, it's really cool to see what's going on around here, too. We're seeing some tech. Um, right from where we're sitting, there's a virtual reality booth that has nine dimensions. And you talk to them. Yeah, it's, um, they, they do. It's this little egg thing. So you sit in a little egg-shaped chair. And it, it's got uh, tilt and roll and, and can do all these things that blows air on you. So it can simulate a lot of things. But apparently, uh, we haven't tried it yet. So apparently, it can go, there's one that's like you're on a pendulum between two buildings. And it does go upside down. And the guy says it feels like you're upside down. So, so right after lunch might not be the best time to try that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we'll see if we can give it a go. All right, we're going to check things out a little bit more. And we'll be back. Well, it was a lot of fun to do that, and I actually won something. I never win anything. It was this cool gaming mat done by an artist who works for Wizards of the Coast and was commissioned by a company called Red Castle Games. Do I have that right? Yep. Yeah. So what we were able to do was get an interview with them. They do some tabletop gaming and have a store, and then it's set up where you can come in and just try things out and have a very unique rent-before-you-buy-it policy on their games. Here they are, Red Castle Games. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. We are live here at the Portland Wizard World Comic Con with Matt from Red Castle Games. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing here. Well, we've got our part of our game library from our store, and people can come in, check out a game for free, grab an open table, and start playing. And so these are tabletop games? These are. We have a variety of different games. We've got Magic Decks we've been giving out, which is a card game. We have some cooperative card games. Uh, we have tabletop miniatures games. It's a lot of different things that uh, can suit many different play styles. Okay, so to give a comparison our listeners will understand, is this like Dungeons & Dragons? or? Well, actually, I'm glad you said that. We are running free Dungeons & Dragons demos all day. We've run several, so we have a professional dungeon master here on staff, and they're for beginners, so they get all the supplies, dice and character sheets in about an hour and a half. These games here are board games, so we have uh, interactive board games. Some are cooperative, where everybody at the table plays together. They're doing that right now over at this table. It's called Just one okay. won the German uh, Game of the Year awards, fabulous. And others are a bit more complex um, and head-to-head type of games, maybe like Dominion, which is a deck-building game, or uh, code names, things like that. Where is your store? Our store is located on 64th and Foster's. Here in Portland. We're here in Portland. We've okay. been actually in Portland, Southeast Portland, for 10 years. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary in March, and actually we're just moving. So we're moving up the street uh, near the Mercado, which is on 72nd and Foster's, a brand new building there, and we're opening up. A game cafe, so we'll have beer, wine, espresso, private gaming rooms. Okay, exciting. this sounds like something we're going to have to check Absolutely. out. Absolutely, like I, I mean that sounds great. So, are you know what? Keep us in touch and let us know when you open, Absolutely. and uh, we can uh, take a look at that. And yeah, we're looking, you... we're looking at opening up at about uh, mid-February to the end of March. So okay. very soon now. So in about six weeks. Yep. So give or take. Okay, cool. Now that's great. That's great. So what's your website? Uh, RedCastleGames.com. Okay, RedCastleGames.com, and I can speak to the fact that there are games and other things too. I want this great gaming mat, yeah. which we're going to put a picture of online and tell us a little bit about this i think you said the artist works for or worked for wizards of the coast yeah it does art is a local artist and it does work for wizards of the coast they we commissioned this just for our store the red castle and that's been signed by the artist and who is the artist uh doug Sh- 
Schumann. Doug Schumann? Okay, cool. Great. Cool. All right, anything else you want to tell us? Well, I can say what we brought here was a sample of our game library, so which has hundreds of titles. Customers can come in and check out a game and play in the store at no charge. It's free. And if they want to take it home, it's just $5 for a week. And if they like the game, that $5 can go towards a purchase. So they okay, so that's you do. So you can kind of like rent a game and Basically, see if it works out. You can test drive a game, and you can test drive as many as you want in the store. We always have a lot of board game events going on. You can meet up with people. Or you take it home and play at the kitchen table. And if you think, hey, this is for us, you bring it back. You're like, I want to get it. We apply the rental fee to the charge again. Oh, that sounds great. Well, Matt, thank you, and good luck with your opening. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be back after the break. You know, it's always a lot of fun to see these small businesses and kind of what they can come up with. And I've never seen or heard of a rent before you can buy game before, but I think that's a really good idea. And speaking of such things, really quickly, Jeremy, you bought a game. Yes, I did. It's called Runes and Regulations. It's a game of suburban sorcery. Should be a lot of fun. We'll have to play that and talk about that a little bit more. I feel like I have that every time I walk out of the garage. Suburban yeah. Sorcery. Sounds good. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. I can't believe it is already the end of the year. Oh, no. It's the end of the decade. It's, I mean, oh, my God. It's been a whole, like, 10 years since we started this. Now, I'll tell you it's what. It's the Roaring Twenties. It's the Roaring Twenties <laughs> is right. I'm ready for the Roaring Twenties. I'm ready to be done with 2020, though. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And, and if anybody's listening that has liked this year and been happy with it, please send us an email, although I won't be holding my breath. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, they must be on a different planet in a galaxy really, really far, 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 far away. away. And wherever that is, please let me know. I'll even quarantine for 14 days, but let me go there. Um, <laughs> you know, 2021 couldn't have more strangeness to it, I think, than 2020. So we're looking forward to another good year. I hope that we'll be able to get back to some of our conventions. Things are scheduled for next year. All of it, of course, is subject to it being safe and getting through the whole COVID thing. And with the vaccines finally being out there and stuff, hopefully we are going to get to that point pretty soon. I know that we have something scheduled for February, and uh, I think that's the Wizard World, actually. So we'll see whether that happens or not. It would be interesting because that's the last show that we were actually able to do, BC. BC in this case, meaning before COVID, of course. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, what are you guys looking forward to next year, assuming that we get back to nor normal production? I'm looking forward to going to the um, Silicon Valley. I mean, that one was a great convention. I want to see that one again. Yep, and that's in the fall, and that's the one you did the builder workshop with uh, Adam Savage for. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what what you get into that. Bill, any any new games coming out next year? I know the PlayStation Five. We might actually be able to get one. I well, I mean, there should be a ton of new games coming out next year. I hope. Um, I don't know. You that's know, a good question. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> everything right now is so up in the air, and that and that's been one of the things I know this year for a lot of people that have been difficult is the ability to plan. And there's some stuff that'll be on the market, but hitting the dates and knowing what they are, even with movie reviews, which I hope to start doing again, too, in 2021, I, even with that, we don't know when stuff's going to be released because the dates are published and we have an agency that gives us our, our critique credential and all of that kind of thing. And they publish these things. And uh, what happens is it keeps changing. And with Warner Brothers now distributing directly to streaming uh, at the same time as the studios and some of the other studios following that, it's hard to really know 
exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. So I think we're going to have a lot of these things where we're kind of playing it by ear. And we're just going to have to deal with it. Although I think by the end of next year, we'll probably be a lot more normal. But uh, Gretchen, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to some of the um, the Star Wars projects that they're hinting at. I mean, I've really enjoyed The Mandalorian. And there's so many interesting things that they're teasing with us that they're going to go into production. So I'm excited for that. Now, it'll be cool to see. Hopefully by next year, I'll have actually watched the new episodes of The Mandalorian and we can talk about yeah. it a little bit. But we're coming up from there. Well, to everybody from our team, have a wonderful holiday season. Until 2021, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.